Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Be changed. Be available. Be ready for what God will do. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. Well, this last week, as I prepared this message in a series titled The Invitation, I was looking at some of the invitations that I've received over the last year. Uh, Things like an invitation to attend someone's wedding. Uh, I got loads of invitations from Google calendars to invite various, or, or to attend various meetings. I had invitations to attend my children's friends' birthday parties. Uh, I got lots of invitations to participate in this sale that is ending this week. You probably got a few of those as well with Cyber Week, right? Uh, I was privileged to be invited to come speak at a conference. I was invited to help someone move. I got invited to join a lot of Facebook groups or like pages. Uh, There are invitations after invitations after invitations, and doubtless you experienced some of those and have some that were unique to you. As I began to look at all these invitations, it was was interesting. I, I noticed that there are some invitations that we get that we're immediately excited for. I got invited to join some friends and go see Avengers Endgame when it was in the theaters. And as soon as I got that, I was like, yes, I'm there. Oh, this is going to be great. But there are other invitations that don't prompt the same enthusiasm and excitement. Uh, maybe they're invitations that we feel we ought to say yes to, but we're intimidated or we don't know how to uh, put them in with our already busy schedule. Uh, for example, the first time I was invited to officiate a funeral, it was not an invitation that I was like excited about, but it was something that I knew I was supposed to do. For some reason, many of the invitations that come our way from the Holy Spirit, if we're honest, feel like they fit in the second category, don't they? Sometimes God gives us an invitation and it's like, yes, I'm excited. But more often than not, they feel complicated. They might provoke insecurity. They might provoke anxiety. And God is in the fun and the exciting, but he's also in the difficult invitations. Now, I want to be the kind of person who says yes to the easy invitations and to the hard ones. And I believe that you want that as well. We all want to give God our yes to every invitation, don't we? And so today, what we're going to talk about is how do we navigate those hard invitations? How do we deal with the ones that feel complicated, that feel tense as they were? Today, we're going to talk about the invitation to his peace. Let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, as we look at saying yes to your invitations, we want to begin by inviting you. (laughs) Lord, we want you to come and to minister to us today. And so, Holy Spirit, I know it's not like you're not in the room, but we just invite your presence, Lord, uh, to, to magnify, Lord, and to minister to us, even in fresh and different ways. Holy Spirit, we invite you Would you open our eyes to your scriptures? Would you open our eyes to what you're doing in our lives and how to respond to the invitations that you have personally extended to us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you know that last week, Di introduced this series. 
And I really, really, really enjoyed Dai's message last week. If you weren't here, uh, there was so much to it. I'll just say go watch it online. The beautiful thing about 2019, you can rewatch it online, right? But uh, I, preacher to preacher, I was like, it was one of those moments where I'm like, respect, Dai. Like, like that was fantastic, okay? And here's why, okay? I'm going to show you a little bit of the, um, the, back, or the, the, the side of preaching you might not be tracking with so much. So preaching is, is a great joy and it's a great honor. Like it's a privilege to be able to, to stand up and to share our thoughts and to read the scriptures publicly. Like I, I absolutely love it. But it's also something that isn't easy to do week after week, month after month, year after year. I mean, let's be honest. I know when I miss it just as well as you guys do. And I know that my job is to like spend time in the scriptures and reading and studying and praying. And then I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to share my best thoughts that have come out of my journey with God, knowing that right after this service, you're all going to go out to eat and critique everything I just said. I know that that's what's going to happen, right? And so every week, you know, as it rolls around, there's a sense of like, man, how am I going to come up with something fresh and exciting to say this week, you know, something inspirational, whatever. There, there can be this pressure, and the pressure is the worst when it comes to Christmas. Because we've all heard the story a thousand times. There's like six characters. There's like seven passages you can read. And so you know the passages. You know the story. You know the characters. How on earth are we going to say something this year that we didn't say last year or the year before or the year before? There's this like pressure around it. And what I loved is Di kicks off our series last week. She's like, all right, we're going we're gonna to do a Christmas series. Except psych. We're going to back up. We're going to talk about the incarnation. Except, psych, we're going to back up and talk about the Trinity. Except, psych, we're going to talk about the great cosmic dance, the periochoresis of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and their yes to each other. I mean, like, there's not too many preachers that would have, like, the gumption to preach on that subject at all, let alone in a Christmas message. So, die. I love it. So good. Love it. Love it. Love it. And because we're building, upon, um, we're building upon her message this week, I just want to load the kind of one central idea in, into our memory so we can, we can keep moving forward from it. Um, Di said many things last week, but one of the key ones was this. When we say yes to an invitation from the Holy Spirit, we are not just saying yes to doing something. We are saying yes to joining someone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are constantly saying yes to one another's invitations. This is, the, this is that, that cosmic dance, the, the divine dance, the perichoresis. When we get an invitation from the Holy Spirit, it's not, will you do this? It's the Holy Spirit saying, I've already said yes to this. Will you join my yes with your yes? That's what invitations uh, from the Holy Spirit are. So, okay, with that idea in mind, how do we say yes? And particularly, how do we say yes with these difficult invitations? Well, to unpack that, we're going to explore an invitation that Joseph got, and we're going to track through his journey of saying yes. And so without further ado, why don't you turn, swipe, or glance at the screens to Matthew 1, and we're going to look at his story and work our way through it uh, pretty, pretty carefully here. So, first verse here, Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay, pause. We're going we're gonna to work our way through this slowly here. Now, unless there's something that's kind of atypical about this situation, which we have no reason to suspect that there is, Joseph is probably either late teens or early 20s. He spent the last half dozen or more years uh, learning the family's craft of carpentry. At this point, he's getting pretty good at it. He's doing more and more business. And in time, he looks forward to taking over the family business. So things are looking up. On top of that, he's recently gotten engaged to a likely teenage gal who's a few years younger than him. He's looking forward to marriage, you know, they're going through wedding planning, all of that. So things are looking really good for Joseph. Business is looking good, family's looking good, life is on an upward trajectory. And it's in the midst of this that something really awkward happens. Joseph discovers that his fiance is pregnant. Now, remember, we've like, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of hindsight and this book to read that helps us understand the whole story. Joseph doesn't have that. All Joseph knows is, hey, we're engaged, and now you're pregnant. And uh, there's only one way that that's ever happened, and I didn't do it, so uh, what's, what's going on here? This is, this is an uncomfortable situation. And Mary's like, blah, 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 Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, yeah, right. Like, that's whatever. The first time ever in history, Holy Spirit, yeah, nice try, right? This is an awkward and an uncomfortable situation. And here's what I want to observe, because I find that this is true with many of the invitations that we receive from the Holy Spirit. Joseph does not get advance warning as to all the things that are about to happen. Joseph stumbles into what God is doing here. Now, uh, the angel like shows up to Mary beforehand. Hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be pregnant, kind of lays it all out. Joseph doesn't get any of that. Joseph is just living his life, and then he trips over what God is doing and has to figure out how to respond to that. Many of our invitations come in that way. Um, many of you have heard um, some version of my story in terms of, you know, heading into the sciences and meeting the Holy Spirit and, and my life kind of being redirected towards ministry. I wasn't looking for that. I stumbled over that. Just because we don't see it coming doesn't mean that it's not God. God is up to a lot more things than we know. And for whatever reason, often we just kind of trip over what he's doing. And that's the beginning of an invitation even though that's not the way maybe that you or I would have set that up. So Joseph discovers his fiance Mary is pregnant. What's he going to do? Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, so let's think about Joseph's options here. Option number one is Joseph could go ahead and marry her. I want to suggest this is a bad idea for at least two reasons. The first reason is this. Um, if she's already cheated on him before they're married, this is not a good relationship trajectory. There's no reason to anticipate that like, oh, we got married, so now you're going to stop cheating on me, right? And so like, if he goes ahead and marries her, like, this is not well set up for a like, healthy future. 
On top of that, this is a culture where what's happening here is an extraordinarily big deal. It's very different than our culture when it comes to ethics and, and things like this in this, in this dimension. And so um, Mary, as a result of this, is going to be ostracized and socially outcast for the rest of her life guaranteed. There is no other option for her. Joseph, if he goes ahead and marries her, everyone's going to know the timing. They're going to figure this out and they go, oh, you got her pregnant. And then you went ahead and married her to do the right thing. And Joseph is going to get sucked into all of the social consequences of this situation. And while Mary is making her own poor choices and has to live with the consequences of them, Joseph doesn't. He doesn't have to sink with that ship. So he's like, all right, marry her? Probably not a good idea. We're not going to go that way. So what are his other options? Well, if you dig through the Old Testament a bit, you find out what the other options are, ta- are on the table in the Jewish culture at that time. So in Deuteronomy 22, here's option number one. If there's a betrothed virgin, oh, that's Mary, betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, oh, that happened, that's how she got pregnant, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young man, because she didn't cry for, or the young woman, because she didn't cry for help, even though she's in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. And so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So we don't know who the young man is, but we do know what Mary's been up to here. And so by all rights, at this, in this society, Joseph could have the situation resolved this way. He could drag Mary to the, to the edge of the gate and publicly have her stoned to death. Kind of messy. Are there any other options? Well, in Deuteronomy 24, we see a second option, which reads like this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if she then finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So option number two is, if you're getting married and you discover everything was not as you were led to believe... There's a second option, which looks like getting a divorce. You get this kind of official certificate. You, you give the wife the certificate. You guys go your separate ways. When the scripture says Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, it's saying Joseph decided not to have her stoned and to do this divorce certificate thing. Try and minimize the mess. So Joseph decides, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go with option three, quiet divorce. I don't know what's going to happen with her, but I'm not sinking my ship with hers. So here's what happens. But as he considered these things, so he's thinking about the details. Like, okay, when do I do it? What do I tell the family? You know, he's turning all this over. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So an angel shows up at like the very last minute. I don't know why God does things at the last minute, but sometimes he does things at the last minute. And so an angel shows up and goes, no, 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 no. I know this is really mind-boggling, but Mary's not lying to you. This is actually God doing something miraculous, and here's what you should do. You should go ahead and marry her, and when you have the baby boy, name him Jesus. He gets the details. Now, let's look at the next verse, and let's think about why this next verse is here. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, the quotation for what the angel says ends at verse uh, 21. Name him Jesus. Matthew then, the writer of the book, says, okay, hold on, let me sort of put a comma in the story and clarify why this is happening. Because this is probably really confusing. This is the most bizarre way that someone could be born. Why on earth is God doing this? He's doing it because this was his plan all along. Look, Isaiah hundreds of years ago prophesied this. Okay? Now, here's the interesting thing I want to suggest to you. The reason Matthew puts this in the Bible is to help us understand because the angel did not make it clear. The angel did not say, here's why this really awkward, difficult, challenging thing is happening. All the angel said is, here's what you're supposed to do. And Matthew, with the benefit of hindsight, understands the why. But in the moment, the why is not clear at all. All that's clear is the what. When you get an invitation from God, more often than not, you're going to get the what, but you're not going to get the why. This is what's tricky for us. Because what we, we want the why. The why helps us feel safe. The why helps us feel like we know that there's somewhere where this can go. And so when we get these uncomfortable invitations, this is what we tend to get tripped up over, the why. But if you think about it, more often than not, we, we really understand like the tiniest slice of what's happening in, in the world, even directly around us. Like if you're honest with yourself, like most of the time, I don't even actually know what I'm thinking or feeling unless I work really hard. I certainly don't know what you're thinking and feeling, and I certainly don't know all the things that God's doing in your life that you or he haven't told me. And so if, I, if I'm like thinking about even just like my life and the relationships around me, the world that I live in, let's say, let's say there's a million variables in there. I might know like 200. 200 out of a million is a tiny little slice that I'm tracking with. And so to, un to expect to understand the why that God is doing something when it's all caught up with all of that other stuff that you and I are not understanding at all is actually a pretty unrealistic expectation. Like the, there's, there's no possible way that we can understand the why. But the good news is there is someone who understands all those things we don't understand. There is someone who knows all the other details that we are not tracking with. Who is that? That's God. They haven't slipped his attention. He knows exactly where all those things are at. And so there is a perfectly good why. It's just we can't see it. When we get the awkward invitations, the tension-filled ones, when we get the what, but we don't get the why, we can realize that the, the person extending us the invitation is trustable. In other words, there's great freedom in being like, you know what, God? I don't have to know everything. I can trust that you actually do know everything. I can trust you with the why if you'll help me understand the what 
And in time, the why often becomes clear. But in the moment, it's not. If we add the, the why, the, the need to understand the why, it more often than not trips us up. I've got uh, three uh, kids, and two of them are in grade school. And so I frequently have this kind of a conversation on Sunday night. Dad, I don't want to go to school. And my response is usually this, I've got really good news for you. You don't have to want to go to school. You just have to go to school. <laughs> right? And, and, you know, that can seem a little, like, callous or uncaring, but I'm, I'm trying to teach them a really important lesson, which is this. There are a lot of things in life that, that you might not want to do that you just have to do. And it's really good to be able to choose to do something you don't want to do. That will teach, that will, like, bring you into really good places in life. But if you place this expectation on yourself that I should want to do all the things that are the good things for me to do, that's going to play massive head games with me. It's much better to just be like, yeah, this is a good thing. I don't want to do it right now, but that's not a problem. I'm just going to do it. In the same way, I think we add this why expectation. You go, God, but I don't understand the why. And God's like, I'm not asking you to understand the why. I'm just asking you to understand the what and to do it. You can trust me with the why. And if you'll trust me with the why, you'll find out in the long run that works a lot better. So Joseph gets the what but he doesn't get the why. Okay, how does he respond? What does he do? <clears throat> when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Like, he wakes up and just goes and does it. <clears throat> but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He did the what? Now, here's the question that I want to spend the rest of our time wrestling with here. We're back to the first option that we turned over. Joseph's going to go ahead and marry her. This is going to happen at an extreme cost to himself. How does Joseph navigate this difficult situation? Because you see, he just immediately steps in and, and does it, steps in and marries her. And it can be easy for us to go, oh, well, is that what I'm supposed to do? Just kind of like head down and force my way through the hard invitations? And if we're thinking about it that way, that's, that, that can be tricky, that can be difficult, because this whole thing isn't supposed to be like our willpower, right? It's supposed to be partnering with his power. So, like, how does that work? How are we supposed to respond to the difficult invitations? Well, once again, we see what Joseph is doing, but why is he doing this? Well, I think, I think this is strongly connected to the way that we are processing the, the difficult invitations that come our way in life. Here's what it usually looks and feels like. It looks and feels like we're like Joseph. Life, we're going along through life. Life is going pretty well. I'm enjoying life. You know, I have hope for the future. I'm living in peace. And then all of a sudden, something in my circumstances shifts. Something changes. And I'm confronted with a choice. And in that experience... I sense like the peace that I had before leaving. And it's very easy to process this whole thing this way. This difficult circumstance and that choice is what has robbed me of my peace. And if that's how I'm thinking about it, then likely what I'll do, the, the kind of natural thing to do is to do this. Okay, well, I'm going to find my peace again. 
And so we work to kind of like, I don't know, arrange the things around us or whatever to, to, to kind of get into that sense of peace because we certainly need peace to do that scary decision. And so we, we, we work to get to that place and we think, okay, if I can get peace, then I can step into this thing. And all of that makes tons of sense. And if we were to just kind of like remove God's invitation from the equation, there's probably a lot of wisdom in that. But when you're receiving a God invitation, something different from that is happening. And it's connected to this idea. Where does our peace come from? Well, the scriptures tell us, for example, Romans 14, Paul says, the kingdom is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we're, when we're living in the kingdom, in alignment with God's rule and what God is doing on the earth, we can expect an environment of our lives that's filled with things like righteousness, peace, and joy. And what happens is our peace is connected to us being with God where he's at. A lot of times what happens when we, we have these situations where there's an invitation and it feels like our peace goes away, it's not that the choice has robbed our peace. It's that God is doing something in the situation and we've yet to catch up with him where he's at. And so the atmosphere and the environment around us shifts. Let me give you an illustration that kind of fleshes this out from much earlier in the Bible. There's a period of time when God guides the Israelites out of Egypt, and they spend 40 years wandering around the wilderness before they come into the promised land. During those 40 years, it says that God guided the Israelites by appearing to them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, why those two things? I'm sure there's like a dozen reasons, but one of them is very practical. Imagine spending 40 years of your life wandering around a desert very near the equator. It is going to be unbelievably uncomfortably hot during the day and unbelievably uncomfortably cold at night. So you know what would be really wonderful to have? A cloud that blocks the sun and takes about 20 degrees off the heat of the day and a fire that prevents it from dropping to freezing at night. So imagine this. Imagine you're an Israelite. You're just going about your day. You're working in your tent, doing whatever you're doing, and you notice, oh, man, it's, it's getting pretty warm today. This is, this is a hot one. And so, you know, you cool yourself off a little bit. You keep working. It's getting hotter. You keep working. It's getting hotter. And eventually you're like, man, this is really uncomfortable. So you step outside the tent to kind of look at what's going on. And you see and you realize, whoa, the cloud is two miles down the road. What's happening? The change in the atmosphere, the fact that it's no longer hospitable, is actually an indicator that God is moving and you haven't caught up with him yet. And so if you, if you interpret this situation, you go, oh, I got to cool myself off and then I can go follow God. That's not going to work well because what you're doing is you're staying longer in the place where you're outside of God's hospitable environment. What, what you want to do is you want to go, oh, pack up right away and hit the road because as soon as we catch up with a cloud, we're going to be in the environment that makes this place livable. 
The same is happening when it comes to these difficult invitations that we experience. We're walking our way through life, and we're in alignment with God. We're experiencing that peace and that joy. But then God does something tricky. He's, he's, he's like with us, we're exactly where we're at, and then he shifts to exactly where we're at, plus a yes to something. And until our yes joins his yes, there's a misalignment that happens there. And that misalignment is ha- like changes the atmosphere around us, and we begin to feel our peace leave. It's not that the choice is robbing our peace. It's that our, we haven't caught up to what God is doing yet, so we're not dwelling in the atmosphere of peace he creates. I'll give a, a, a concrete illustration and example of this. Um, for the last couple of years, uh, my wife and I have been talking about and now beginning to make our way through the process of adoption. Um, Brittany's oldest brother was adopted from Indonesia, and so she's never not had a day in her life where uh, cross-cultural adoption was like a thing. And so early on, we, we just kind of had the sense, maybe this is something that God is going is to kind of call us towards. And in the last couple of years, it's been clear to us that God is saying, okay, God is saying yes to this for our lives. Now, <clears throat> um, this is this presents a very complicated situation. Complicated in a lot of levels. Uh, first of which was financially. Like anybody who's ever looked into adoption knows it, it can cost tens of thousands of dollars. We don't have tens of thousands of dollars for this, right? On top of that, we believe God is, is calling us to adopt interracially. This is a very complicated time in our country to embed uh, an interracial situation into our family. Is that really wise right now? Is it not? I mean, this is a very complicated, tricky, difficult situation. Now, if I stand when, the, when God has made it clear, he's saying yes to this. If I sit here and try and figure that all out before I say yes, then I'm living in the environment where I'm guaranteed to not have his peace to solve those problems. What's much wiser is to say, God's in it, yes. I'm going to jump right in, and now here I can have his peace to work on those same situations and problems and things to figure out. Would you rather work through the tough stuff in his peace or looking for his peace? In other words, we do not find our peace and then say yes. We find our peace by saying yes. When you say yes... You meet him where he's at, and you get to live in that hospitable environment of his peace. And then the two of you work all the details out together. But what you don't need is to figure it out all before you say yes. It's actually really counterintuitive. Like, I get that. Like, again, if we were to take God out of the equation, it'd be bad advice, right? But when, when you have a situation where you're getting an invitation and, and it feels, uh, the, the environment is feeling less and less hospitable, that might actually be a signature, a sign to you that God is in this. It might actually mean that there's not a problem. This is actually a good thing. Oh, 
God's, God's moving somewhere. God's, God's at my life plus a yes, and I haven't added my yes to his. God's on the move. This is kind of cool. This is exciting. It's, it's not a, a sign that there's something wrong. It's actually a sign God is moving you into a more. It's a beautiful thing. But what we need to do is as soon as we know this is God, and there's a process to that, right? I mean, he speaks, and, and we have to weigh, and all of these things, right? But as soon as we know it's God, add your yes to his. Don't try and sort the details. Don't try and understand the why. Don't worry if you haven't caught up to him yet. Add your yes as fast as you can, because then you get to work the rest of it out in the hospitable environment of his peace. <clears throat> God has invitations on the table for all of us right now. He's got invitations. They look different for each of us. Maybe he's saying, hey, why don't we reach out to that family member where the relationship has been not working for a while? Why don't we connect with that coworker who doesn't have any friends for a good reason? <laughs> what, if, what if we participated in this ministry that's going to put you face to face with people who live very differently? Right? What if, we, what if we stepped into this with your finances? What if we stepped into this in your workplace? You know, it, it's, it's absolutely different for each of us. But if that invitation is actually provoking a sense of loss of peace, then I have good news for you. I think God's doing something in your life. And my encouragement to you would be this. There's only one step that matters. Once you know it's God... Get to yes as quick as you can. You'll figure the rest out as you go. But until you get to yes, you're actually holding yourself back, not moving yourself forward. We just, in the last couple of weeks, uh, finished our uh, adoption, like home study. Like, check, box checked, you know, it, get, it can all happen, right? I still have all the same questions I had a year ago. But you know what? I've had peace in the process. I've been okay not knowing the answers to those things because I know I'm with God and he gets all the details that I don't get. When God gives us those invitations, let's add our yes to his yes. And as we do that, we enter into the, that beautiful di divine dance that Di talked about last week. We get to partner with God in beautiful ways. And in that, we change our world and we change the world with Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, God, I thank you for the beautiful things that you invite us into. And I thank you for the incredible truth, God, that when we're getting uncomfortable, God, you're still the comforter. <laughs> when we feel a sense of loss of peace, it doesn't change that you're the prince of peace. <laughs> and so, God, I ask... For, for each and every one of us, Lord, who's, who's hearing this, God, you have unique invitations for us. And I ask for two things, Lord. Would you give us the discernment to know it's you? And would you give us the courage to add our yes without understanding all the details? Lord, you are good. We trust you. We trust you. We say you are trustable. We want to say yes to you because of that. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for the beautiful things you're doing in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or 
Join our Vineyard Life Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.